0: One, two, three, and to the four. Uh, What's going on, everybody? This is the Sneaky Emu. Episode number 30, Trace. 33? How's it going? I am so thankful and glad and happy and excited that you are here. Mom, thanks for listening. Uh, So today, I want to talk to you (laughs) about um, everything. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) let's, let's talk about every single thing, literally all things. Um, and, uh, so it's kind of like this. I, I don't, I don't know where you're at with your spirituality, with your faith, with your, uh, faith journey, if you will. Uh, but if you're anything like me, I, I grew up in the church and I've, fairly typical, I would say, Christian-type church. Um, and I think uh, the things that I've le- leaned, gleaned over the years, uh, I I think have kind of really led me to the wrong conclusions <laughs> about what the point of my faith is and the logical conclusion as to how everything plays out. Um, I I think I've lived with a nagging sense, you know, for a while, and and this is I, I've kind of already worked through some of this, but I thought this might be good for some people to kind of hear, and and maybe this they'll, you'll relate, and maybe this will be something that maybe will be enlightening, maybe will open you up to some new things, or maybe if you're if you're familiar with a lot of the stuff I talk about, it might not seem like that big a deal, but I just I've come across a few people recently who I've happened to have conversations with and I find myself um, kind of going like, Oh, they, they still don't get it or they're still in, in the mindset that I used to be in. And I, I wish that I could say something to them, but I don't know that they're ready to hear it yet. And that's always the biggest trouble, isn't it? When, when you run across people or you bump into people or you have people in your life that, uh, haven't <clears throat> that are, that are still where they've always been. Maybe is, is the best way to say it. Or, you know, even, even when I think about, um, growing up in the church and I think about, uh, you know, we had a very, a, a pretty large youth group growing up. And I think about all the kids that were in that youth group, uh, together or that I was with, and then, when I see um, all the various ways that all of them kind of turned out, uh, it's interesting to see that people are all over the spectrum with what they now believe. Some ha- have left uh, the faith entirely. Some would just simply be more like they believe in something, but they're not quite sure what it is. There's some that have, have gone like hyper conservative and legalistic. Uh, you know, and all this stuff I think is affected by like life in general, you know, whatever path we've kind of been on kind of contributes to that. But, um, I, I, when I observe where I'm at with things, this is one of those things where uh, I don't know if, I don't know if I'd have been ready to hear it when I probably should have, but it's something that I'm glad I kind of came across or learned or, you know, studied or whatever, um, something that was super helpful to me and something that I wish uh, some, of the, some of the people who tend to be on the more hyper-conservative legalistic side of things, um, something that might be beneficial for them to hear. Um, and so that's kind, of, that's kind of where this is stemming from. And so this is kind of like a, a bit of a summary of, of some of the conclusions I've come to or, or the realizations that I've come to. Um, because at, at one point, I remember that, like, I lived for a long time kind of with this idea or this, like, nagging sense underneath everything that something about what I believe about the Bible and God and stuff doesn't, it doesn't really seem to uh, add up appropriately or it seems a bit off, but it's like I could never quite identify what that thing was. So... If you're in that place, or you know people that are in that place, or maybe you've been there, or I don't know, maybe you're still there, hopefully this will be something that will be beneficial to you um, along the way in your faith journey, okay? So, um, th- today is li- it's called we're calling literally all things. Um, so, when it comes to the story of the Bible, and I think the thing that I wrestled with for a, a long time was, why would God create something like heaven and earth uh, that according, you know, to the to the opening story of the Bible, God loved, that God was in love with, um, if what many, like, of the traditional mindset ha- ha- still believes is that he's going to ultimately destroy it, right? That, that to me never made much sense as I began to, like, study on my own and grow a little bit and learn some things like, okay, but he created this thing and it w- he says it's good, but yet uh, the end goal is that he's going to annihilate, destroy everything. And then our whole goal of our faith is to try to get out of this place alive, to try to get to the other place, to get to the floating heaven type place, like whatever, uh, that, that never, I didn't, I, I've never really understood that. And it caused a lot of problems along the way. So um, a couple years ago, uh, I did this thing with my kids um, and we did a painting and, uh, we, we made, I made like a big event of it. I think my wife was at work. Um, I believe, or she, I don't know if she was quite there, but I feel like it's something I would have done when she wasn't there because it involved making a huge mess. And so what we did was, um, I moved everything. We were renting a house, so I don't know if I would do it at my house now, but we were at a rental house. And we moved all of the, <clears throat> like the kitchen table and everything, out of the kitchen area, so it was all tile. Uh, we cleared the whole area out, and then I bought like a, um, like a giant roll of canvas. You know, like it, like uh, I don't know, it's probably four or five feet wide by like I mean, fifty feet long or something. So I cut a huge section. I mean, we, we maybe made it like it was maybe four or six by I don't know five feet or something. I mean, that's a, it's a big piece of canvas, right? So I laid down some plastic on the tile and then we uh, I took that piece of canvas and just put it on the ground and then I opened up a whole bunch of paints and then I just let my kids, like, have at it. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, what I did was I, I made it to where it, it was basically like I had them paint on only half of the painting and then what i was able to do was to fold the blank half over on top of the half they painted so basically it created like a mirror image and then it looked like a kind of a cool thing whatever so i made this kind of you know kind of pretty, fairly large mess uh thankfully it wasn't too bad uh I had a lot of fun doing it uh you know and and just uh, i loved working with my kids letting them do their thing i love being able to encourage their creative creativity i love that we could, in fact, create something together. Uh, I, I remember at one point in the middle of like all the chaos, my daughter, when she was she was younger, in the middle of the fun and the painting and the music and everything we had going, she she began to get a little bit upset about something, and so we began to talk about like what, what's going on, like what's what's happening, what, why are why are you why are you sad, why are you upset, and she said that um, that she had made a mistake, like she had used the wrong color which then made her very sad, which I thought was funny because we were using like all the colors. (laughs) We weren't painting anything in particular, we were just painting. But she, in her mind, in the freedom of creating, chose the wrong color, and it made her very sad. So, do you know what we did? Well, we took that mistake, that quote-unquote mistake, and we morphed it into something else. And in fact, uh, I remember there was one time when she was in school, and I remember her telling me about being in art class, <laughs> right? This was, like, first or second grade. And uh, the teacher had a phrase that was, uh, if you mess it up, dress it up. And I've always loved that, like, oh, yeah, that's perfect, because that's kind of how, like, I paint anyways. Like, I'm not a super, like, detail-skilled painter, I like colors, I like movement. And so if something gets messed up, yeah, you just kind of add a little more, swerve a little bit more, and you tie it back in some other way, right? So this this was that type of situation. She used the wrong color, she was sad about it. And so instead of that being like a mistake on the painting, we just kind of transformed it into something else. And, and she was she was quite, she was happy with that, right? But it was a big deal to her at the time. Now, here's the thing about this whole situation is that from the onset of our idea to create from the onset of our idea to, to do this painting, never once was there the idea from the beginning of it all the way through to the end of it. Never once was there the idea of, uh, potentially destroying what we had created. That that was never like an option that was not in, in our mindset. Um, in the midst of creating our family masterpiece, <laughs> um, there was joy in the act of creating. Aside from the uh, the perceived mistake she made, which I thought was great, anyways, th- th- there was only joy and fun and excitement. Like, and even as we were doing this thing, we weren't <clears throat> we weren't discussing or anticipating or even thinking about how to eventually obliterate the very thing we were in the process of creating, right? Even when she had this little mishap, even when it seemed as if the whole thing was ruined in her mind, there was never the thought of taking the whole thing and crumpling it up and throwing it in the trash, right? Despite this momentary uh, use of the wrong color... There was still hope that whatever this thing was going to be, whatever this painting was going to be, it was still going to be awesome, right? And I, I remember we got done with that. And I remember, was, man, she was so proud of it, and I remember we we had put that um, painting like uh, hung it on the wall in, in the in the uh, kitchen area, and so then like every time that we would gather around a meal, and, you know, we'd like talk talk about the painting or we'd you know marvel at the painting for a brief moment, like how beautiful our messy family painting was, right? We, we talk about how much fun it was to create and how much fun, how, how much work that we put into it and all the different decisions we made. And, you know, in uh, all of our discussions and, and contemplations of our family painting over the, over the weeks that followed painting that and hanging that in the kitchen, one thing that never has crossed our minds, uh, never crossed the kids' minds or even myself uh, was the idea that you know what <clears throat> there was a there was a glitch when we painted that there were, there was a little mistake that was made and and we should destroy our creation because at one time there was this little blemish right we we dealt with the blemish they they would never ever 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 consider destroying this beautiful painting that we had created that they were so very proud of and worked so very hard to create. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, there's this phrase that gets repeated. Uh, you may be familiar with it. It's a phrase that gets repeated like seven times, six times, seven times. And, and that is the phrase, it, it is good. It was good. Um, <laughs> God saw that it was good. Yeah, so in the midst of creating, God was pleased with and excited about what it was that he was created. Right? And and in the Bible, uh, the the number seven is is a symbol of fullness and wholeness. So you see this phrase um, like seven times. It was good, 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 it was good. I think that's seven. Did I say it seven times? God God made things the, the, the way that he wanted them to be. Right? Creation was good. Creation was whole. Creation was the fullness of the presence and creative nature of an infinite God. Right? Now, there's no mention in the Bible of God creating and that in the process of creating, he also had in mind to destroy the very thing that he took the time and care to create in the first place. Oh, no, it's not like mid mid-speaking the animals into existence, he thought. Eh, I'm not sure about that one. I'm not sure about the aardvark. I'm not sure about... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure about the opossum. Might, might want might to dress this one up. Might want to just... Maybe I'll just crumple this whole thing up and start over. No, the thing he created, he said it was good. Like, seven times. Genesis 1 and 2... Is is what we call God's intended reality. Right? It's the way God intended things to be, the way they're supposed to be. Now in Genesis 3, we see God's intended reality disrupted, right? With this the eating of the apple, all that stuff. But then the rest of the Bible is about restoring God's intended reality. The rest of the Bible points to the idea <coughs> that we are intended to be partners. With God in bringing his intended reality into our present reality and then at the end whatever that looks like eventually he will come and finish the job that he has entrusted with to us he will uh, eventually restore all of his intended reality okay uh, so the scenario is God created there was never a thought of destruction there was a blemish on our part. My daughter uh, didn't use the colors that she deemed appropriate. We uh, have, have created a mess of things through how we live. Uh, but my response to my daughter's mistake was not to throw the whole thing in the trash, but rather to like uh, restore it, to fix it, so to speak. to to create something even more beautiful out of the mistake she had made. Um, So, that's kind of what we see happening in the story of the Bible. God created this good thing. We, uh, as creation, are participating in the ongoing uh, ongoing expansion and creation of creation. And we have made a mistake. Uh, But God is not... (laughs) God, God is not going to destroy our painting. God is going to restore our painting. God's going to fix. God's going to uh, renew the painting. Um, in fact, John uh, in the Book of Revelation, chapter twenty-one, and I'm sure we've probably talked about this on here, but uh, just for the sake of continuing the thought in John in, in Revelation twenty-one. John talks about seeing this new heaven and this new earth and a new new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and then in verse 5 it says he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new now this simple verse as kind of this simple verse has drastically reshaped and reframed my understanding of things to come right this this is the verse that aligns all the nervous misunderstandings I've maintained or had ingrained into me, right? It's this verse that, if you've grown up with this traditional thought of, of uh, God created this thing, we messed it up. Uh, <clears throat> those who, um, uh, and and because we've messed it up, God's going to ultimately destroy uh, this creation. And then some of us who repent will go with him to somewhere else, and those who don't, they will go somewhere else with someone else, right? Like this verse, to me, kind of changes it. This this was a big like catalyst in in reshaping uh, my the, the things that I had first learned. Right, this verse says God is not going to destroy the creation that He is in love with. This verse says that although his creation may have been marred or disrupted, or may they, although there may have been a blemish, although my daughter may have in her mind made a mistake, he's not going to blot it out of existence with some sort of all-consuming fire. Okay, this phrase "I'm making everything new" is, is really a phenomenal phrase. Like, and and it speaks volumes to like. Who God is and what God is like and, and the things that lay in store for us. Um and, and here, here's here's why to me this is so phenomenal. Okay. So there there's two words in this phrase that um that kind of uh upended my incomplete understanding of things like uh what's going to happen, eternity what it means for me to live in the here and now in light of eternity. Uh, it These two words, um, they take this idea that, that many people live with or have lived with, this idea that if, um, if I don't do, say, uh, the right things, um, <clears throat> then eventually, uh, if, if I don't do and say the right things, then there's going to be like this... Eternal punishment and consequence, and and then if I if if I screw up along the way, uh, then then I'm not sure about my salvation or my eternal resting or whatever. So the two words here. Let me show you this. The first one is this. The first word is everything. I am making everything new. So in the Greek text, the this is the word pas. and pas, uh literally means all, or whole, or the entirety, right? This word, when he says, I am making everything new, this word everything means literally every single thing, okay? So, there is nothing that exists that is beyond this. Uh, And then the second uh, word here is the word new. Um, In the Greek text, there are Two words that typically get translated uh, for into the English as the word "new." There is the word "kainos" and there is the word "neos." Okay, so "neos" is something that is entirely brand new, right? Um, I bought a new car, whatever. Um, "Kainos" is something that is being made new. "Kainos" is. Uh, this idea of renovation, it's, it's to be made new with regard to its previous forms, right? They've, this is like, think extreme home makeover, right? Move that bus, they took this house, they completely redid it, and now it's like this whole new thing, but it's still the same house. Um, the word that gets used in this passage for I am making everything new is not the word "naos." As in, I am making everything completely new. It's a whole different thing. The word that's used in this passage is the word kinos, um, which uh, the the idea then is that I am making everything like new. I, I am restoring everything, right? Like the, the point is that based on these definitions of understanding, and understanding, and this is like, like, again, the thing that really rocked my. Theological world in how I understood or how I've been taught, like um, how things will all be played out in the end. You you, you could you could really like say it this way: uh, the one seated on the throne says that he is restoring the entirety of God's intended reality. You could say it this way: the one seated on the throne says that he is literally reclaiming and restoring. Every single thing That was ever created You could say it this way uh, The one seated on the throne says He is making every single thing That exists in the present And the past New With respect to its previous with its, To its previous forms Right So this passage Is absolutely phenomenal I am making Everything new. There is nothing, right? The pas and then the the kinos. Pas. Every single thing. There is nothing that has been created that I am not going to restore, to re- renew, to bring life back to. Right? So, he's not destroying what was. When It says when he comes back, He's, he's not annihilating creation because it's, because it's bad. He, he's not destroying the, the material things of this world and then building something new somewhere else that is entirely unfamiliar. He's taking what was and what is and revitalizing it. Do you see? Like what a huge difference this this makes in our understanding of things and our understanding of who God is. The implications of this understanding is so very profound on on so many different levels. If if this is the case, then no longer does the idea of God annihilating creation and building something new at the end of the ages make any sense, right? Uh, the whole concept or idea of like, God, what's, what's that song? God's going to cut you down. Tell him like, there's been this image of God that's, that's been taught and passed down through the generations that God is going to cut you down. That God is going to wipe things out. That if you do not fall in line with everything that he says, or if you step out of line with everything he says, then there's going to come a time where there will be this judgment where everything that you know and love will be destroyed and wiped out. And then he's going to take this small amount of people to a different place forever. And that's supposed to be a picture of heaven and a loving God who wants to be with his people. (laughs) Right. But when you understand uh, this passage that says, I am making everything new, i am making pas then all of a sudden it it creates a whole different picture right um if this is the case then no longer does the idea that when i die and my my spirit will float forever into some ethereal realm make any sense or that i'll be playing a harp on a cloud with a halo and floating singing like cheesy christian worship songs for all eternity Right? Which, by the way, doesn't sound even remotely fun to me. Do you know, I've, I've actually, for the longest time, <laughs> I, was, I was a bit nervous about the idea of heaven. At least the, the idea of heaven that we typically hand to people, right? This kind of, the, the ethereal floating playing harps, and, and we just stand around for literally forever singing holy 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 is the lord god almighty like that's that's what i'm doing all this for (laughs) that's the goal that's the prize oh well but you'll be in the presence of god and yeah but it also sounds a bit boring it sounds like like you're trying you spend your whole life trying to do the right things, trying to follow the will of God, trying not to, you know, buy into sex, drugs, drugs and rock and roll. And then the reward is, here's a harp. You get to sing on a cloud forever. Like, ugh. I, I really, honestly, I, I, I wrestled with that for a long time. So I'm like, yeah, but man, is that really... What I want to do? Of course, the alternative, you know, in in that line of thinking is that if I'm not up there, then I'm going down somewhere else into this fiery abyss where I'm eternally tormented, you know, for the rest of whatever. Well, There is no end. Which, by the way, creates a whole other interesting set of problems because can love torture, right? Like, can... If God is love, can this God, who is love and who gave birth to all things out of love, love created all that is? It doesn't really line up with that picture of like eternal torment, does it? All right. So, if this back to this passage, if this is the case, I am making all things new. Um, then eternity somewhere else also doesn't make any sense. If this is the case, I am making all things new. Then, it also means I can't really distance myself, distance myself from the problems of this world, and just wait for it all to burn, can I? Because I think I think this, and this is a big one to me. Because when you look at, um, I think we're getting better. I think we're getting better. Uh, but I, it's like. If you care too much for the environment, then Christians think you're a bit odd. Oh, yes, we're supposed to be stewards, but it really is just about, like, I should try to take out the recycling, and I shouldn't, you know, and I, maybe I shouldn't, you know, like, uh, maybe I should care a little bit about, uh, you know, like, how much fuel and gas I use, but really beyond that, it doesn't ultimately matter, because God's going to destroy it anyways, right? Like, so... But if this is the case, that, take, that, that all things are going to be made new, it actually puts a bit more pressure on this idea of being God's steward and taking responsibility of creation, doesn't it? Right. So if this if this verse is the case, I'm making all things new, maybe it means I have to take a little more responsibility for the care of God's creation in the here and now. Do you see? If this is the case, I'm making all things new, then when I look at something of like... Uh, look at the beauty of something like the Grand Canyon, when I look at the beauty of what is found within creation, it, I, it also reminds me of like that whole thing that C.S. Lewis talked about. Uh, he wrote a book about it. It's a phrase that's uh, familiar to him um, uh, where he talks about this idea of the shadow lands, that this earth um, and and everything that we see is just a shadow of the things to come. So if you take the like the most wonderful majestic picture that you can think of that's found within the natural order of creation. Uh, And and you think of it in light of this idea of the Shadowlands, that regardless of how incredibly beautiful that thing is, it's just a shadow of what it will be when it is fully restored, which to me is is actually a phenomenal, phenomenal thought. And really, um, if you remember... Uh, speaking of C.S. Lewis, if you remember, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, when you get into the very last book, uh, what is it—the last battle—and um, maybe I, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but I, I remember he he's describing um, when the kids, uh, when Aslan is taking the kids, um, like is it into? I don't know if it's Narnia, he's taking them somewhere, but I just remember like there's that whole whole phrase like further up and further in, and the and the kids are like. I think they're writing on Aslan or something Aslan. Um, But it's like, they're seeing things from, from like a bird's eye view. And it's like things that they see that are familiar. Oh, I recognize that street. Oh, I recognize that place. Like they're almost like flying over it. Um, But yet they're wrestling with some thoughts because it's like, they're seeing this thing that looks familiar, but it looks like more real. It looks more vibrant. It's, it's this similar to what was, but it's it's kind of there's like a newness to it, but yet it still um, it it still pays tribute to its previous form. It still tra- pays tribute to this previous thing, and so I've always loved that picture, of uh, the idea of like, oh, maybe C. S. Lewis w- was on to something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, isn't it fun to think that? Um, you can take like one of the one of the great writers <laughs> in the history of mankind, and go, "Oh, maybe he was onto something." <laughs> like, who are you? You know what I'm um, <clears throat> so I am saying? So I love that picture. But this back to this idea of Shadowlands and, and this whole thing. God is making everything new. Uh, God is not going to destroy our home. He He's going to refine it. He's going to restore it. He's going to renew it. He's going to dwell in his creation with his creation forever. And this to me really was the, one of the big turning points in my thinking and understanding of what it means to have faith, what it means to live out my faith, the importance of, you know, like the, the whole concept of, of following the rules. Like when when you're handed a religion that's about following the rules, then the goal is, Right to do to do the right thing so that you don't get in trouble. The motivation behind that, yes, we say it's to to be a better Christian or to be a more devout, you know, disciple of Christ. But really, I think the motivator, the the driving motivating force behind that thought, um, from my experience, was was really like the avoidance of punishment. Well. I I didn't do this this and this right right so I I, I didn't lie cheat murder steal whatever and so therefore I am not going to be punished for those things but this concept this idea to me makes so much more sense this one that's that's not saying when if you step out of line there's you're going to be like damned for all eternity that and that God is going to destroy this place because you have. Fouled it up so absolutely Bad that he just can't possibly Do anything with it which by the way give is like a very Arrogant way for Us to think of ourselves Like that you Have so much power Through your inability To like follow the rules That God can't Fix it (laughs) Like How full of ourselves do we have To be to think that there's something that we can do that can overpower the power of God, which then creates a whole bunch of other issues, right? Like if your God is so small that you can overpower him, then is that the type of God you want to follow? Or are you the one who's actually God? Because then you're the one who's calling the shots. If, if we live with the belief that we have the power who thwart God's plans, I I really think we're missing something in our understanding of who God is. <laughs> so this idea, I'm making everything new. I am literally going to restore and renew everything. This, to me, makes a lot more sense. This gives me like a great deal of hope. It also means that the things that I say and do in doing this life matter. This says that what I do in this life matters because if I am doing the things that align with God's intended reality, they, in fact, have the potential to carry on into eternity, right? This says that when I bring justice or reconciliation to any particular situation in my life or in the world, that I am in fact partnering with God to get the ball rolling on this whole makeover thing that he's got planned, right? Everything is eventually going to be restored. And so part of my role, like Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation, is to work with God in moving in that direction. So when I help to restore or to make things whole or to reconcile something, then I am getting things set up for the future. Which, which is really like a really powerful sort of idea, right? He, he's not going to destroy this beautiful painting that he's asked for us to help him with. That's the story. God created this beautiful painting. He asked you to be a part of creating with him. And he's not going to, to wipe this thing. He's not going to set the painting on fire or throw it in the trash Because there was a mistake, because there was, because we used the wrong color, because I did the wrong thing, right? Even though we may have marred the painting a bit, he's going to ultimately restore it. And not just like that, he's he's, like, he's going to restore all of it, the whole thing, every single component of it, literally restoring all things, right? He's dealt with the blemish. That we've created He's not going to destroy it He's going to recreate it In fact, he's in the process of recreating currently And he's using you to do it He wants to work on this beautiful and messy family masterpiece together So that we can hang it over our collective dinner tables Of all humanity And marvel at it for all eternity Right? Like, what a better way to think about it and, and actually, what a more scriptural way to think about it. All this other stuff about how God is going to burn and destroy and annihilate that which he created, that, that's not how the story ends. And, and really, most of that stuff isn't... We, we've taken it out of context anyways. We've talked about that, I'm pretty sure, a couple, uh, several weeks ago. Uh, when we talked about, what was it, the idea of uh, bandwagon fans and and something about hell or something. I don't, I don't remember the exact title, but um, <clears throat> that, that's that <sighs> it's hard for me to understand how you can read a story that starts with God creating all things and saying that it's good, it's good, it's good. And you see God dwelling with his creation in, in unity, in love. And then how the Bible ends by showing that God is, is coming back to his creation and restoring all things and then dwelling again among his creation in love. It's hard to take a story that begins and ends with God dwelling with his creation in love on the place that the whole story starts and ends and come to the conclusion that he's going to wipe it all out and take only a few people somewhere else. Do you see? And so, if you find yourself, maybe you, maybe maybe you, maybe you've never put all this together. Maybe you've never heard this. Maybe you're still holding on to some of the ideas of the past. Like, and and maybe you find yourself wrestling with, well, how does, how how do I make sense of a God who is love? But a God who destroys, (laughs) like maybe this will help. All right, maybe this will help. um, Maybe this will help you to see that not only is God His love, but He's got a plan, and that even though there's been a mistake or two made along the way, that God's plan, God's masterpiece, God's painting, isn't isn't ruined. It's not forever. It's not so far beyond uh, restoration that it has to be destroyed. It's going to be restored. It's, It's going to be made new. Absolutely every single thing is going to be made new. And the beauty of this story is that along the way, we get to be a part of it. Just like my daughter, even though she made a mistake in our family painting, we use that mistake to make something beautiful, right? And then we hung it in the kitchen, on the wall, so that we could marvel at it. Yeah. Hopefully that's been helpful. Hopefully this is insightful. Hopefully this gives you some hope along the way, wherever you're at in your faith journey. And again, this may be like old news to you. I don't know. It's always good to be reminded but for me this was a big this was a big moment in in changing my overall thinking about how i understand god the bible what it means to live in the here and now what it means for the future of the things to come like oh this to me makes a lot more sense i am making all things new so hopefully you got something good out of that. All right, my friends, it's been fun. It's been a minute or two. Mom, thanks for listening. I'm sending you guys all the love in your general direction. I hope this day finds you well, and we will talk to you later. We're here to unlearn. Teachings of the church